very good morning to you. It's 16 minutes past eight. This is James Ross with Money Talk and uh, a big welcome to our guests, Enzio von File, uh, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Good morning, Enzio. Good morning, James. Nice to have you on the show and also nice to have, uh, nice to have Carlos Casanova on the show, Senior Asia Economist at UBP. Uh, Carlos, good morning. Very good morning. Uh, well, what do we what do we think? Um, no surprise, perhaps, that uh, the Fed holds interest rates uh, there. But um, indications for the future, Carlos, what do you think about that? Well, the good news is that uh, rates seem to have peaked. <laughs> that's a, that's mm. a good, good news. Um, virtually no uh, FOMC member expects um, to hike interest rates further, although Powell did say that they, they, they leave that option open. Um, the risky part for me is uh, what markets are pricing in. So the dots were revised. Markets are pricing in three interest rate cuts in 2024 and two interest rate cuts in 2025. Um, that is certainly not consistent with the Fed's narrative of a soft landing in 2024. Um, so I think where we might see some repricing going forward is 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 on the dots. Um, I currently uh, don't expect to see as many cuts in 2024 unless there's a significant decline in U.S. activity. <coughs> So the market may have gotten um, slightly ahead of itself in, in pricing some of those rate cuts for next year. Yeah, markets seem to like uh, uh, the news from Jerome Powell. Um, the Dow up 1.4%. We're seeing the S&P SX 200 in, in Australia up 1.5%. Um, Enzio, your thoughts on this? Um, again, as expected, I suppose. Well, I think, first of all, we have to, I fully agree with Carlos, but I would also say that we have to, redefine what we mean by market because the market now is being run basically by a bunch of algo lizards who <laughs> run programs and then the humanoids react to the algo lizards so i think it's a little bit it's important just to keep that in mind for our listeners we're all part of ai now is that what you're saying Anthony? well depending on what you call ai yes um now i think the key thing for me next to what carlos was saying is very astute comments about the market getting ahead of itself is that he wants to significantly reduce securities holdings of the fed that's very very important because that means that by getting these securities, by giving these securities into the market, by reducing his own securities holdings, he is taking money out of the market. That's very important from an economic standpoint because less money will be around. And that's what also could contribute to a market shock going into 2024. I also don't believe, as Carlos also doesn't believe, that there's going to this never, never land of massive rate cuts next year. Either the market is saying there's going to be one terrible recession or we economists are all wrong by just saying that the that the structural inflation the supply side inflation in america food weather war sloth um, will continue being high well back in january uh, we were expecting to see a recession in the u.s by december here we are in december no recession i think we've just shifted the goalposts haven't we <laughs> any if you say it long enough for us economists it'll come true at some point so carlos will it come true will there be a recession well, Powell did mention that he expects to keep conditions uh, restrictive, uh, of course, alluding to that point that Enzio mentioned, mentioned on quantitative tightening. Um, that is going to be a, a factor in, in 2024, I think, um, especially on the employment front. We might see slower job creation. Um, it's been surprisingly resilient this year, but... Uh, uh, you know, it, 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 if it's too good to be true, it's just not true. Yeah. Um, so we most likely will see uh, more restrictive policy translating into a correction in employment. And uh, we have that base effect on inflation. So there's a whole debate as to whether some of the components of the CPI basket are going to be more negative than expected. Yes. Um, so that the combination of those two factors might potentially um, 
at some point lead to a correction. Uh, but uh, in the sort of next uh, three to six months, uh, we, we do see uh, this market optimism and, and this pricing of rate cuts mm. uh, next year potentially being a driver of, of total equity returns, even though the market has, has returned a, an astonishing 23% already in mm. 2023. Um, interestingly, though, if you look at the forecast for the um, S&P, it was not as sanguine as the forecasts on, on the bond front. So the dot plot's very aggressive, but um, equity analysts are expecting upside, but not as much upside yes, as, as yes. what's... Mm-hmm. What, about the, what about the NASDAQ, though? You know, I mean, are, are investors losing touch with some of the reality of uh, the data that comes through and focusing more on tech? We've seen Apple rise, as we heard earlier, on uh, 52% this year and now has a market cap of $3.1 trillion. Well, I think, again, you've, you've got the algo lizards helping on this one. And then you've got the humanoids coming in with the emotions, basically the herd effect coming into this. And I think that um, it, the Magnificent Seven could well turn out to be the modest seven going into to the end of 2024 for the simple reason that it, they must be very, very, their valuations must be very, very stretched indeed. What does this all mean for Hong Kong, would you say, NZO? Not a whole lot, because I think that we... Are we need to address our own issues here much more punctually, and we are the water skier off the back of the Chinese tugboat. Note, I don't say speedboat, I say tugboat at present, because the Chinese economy with its party state capitalism model is making the party very much run the economy, run the private sector, until the private sector is allowed to create jobs demand-driven jobs, the economy cannot go anywhere, and that's why I'm quite bearish on China itself. Thus, also Hong Kong, for the very simple reason that we are very much beholden to what China is doing, and also I think that we just need to spruce up our own abilities to be an international financial center. It's called learning English again. Well, Ministry of Finance officials, uh, as we heard, have been uh, here in Hong Kong meeting uh, bankers from mm. HSBC and Standard Chartered and Bank of China, uh, Hong Kong, um, in the last day or so. Uh, it does seem that they're trying to push uh, Hong Kong more as an international financial centre. Are we really slipping? Is that what they're, they're realising? Well, we have slipped. Um, I think that Indonesia, was it India? I think India, India. Indonesia, India, thank you, um, surpassed us in, in, in various sort of metrics last year already. Um, Now, we're not into the comparison race, but I just think that if you can't speak English, you cannot be a financial center. I'm sure that this conference between the Chinese and the bankers went in English with translators. It didn't go in Cantonese with translators into Mandarin. Is that something, Carlos, that you see um, is important for the future of Hong Kong going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Hong Kong needs to secure its status as a global financial Mm. center. We have lost uh, some, you know, the, not the, not the race, but uh, you know, currently we are seeing much more dynamic IPO activity yeah. in India. Um, Hong Kong used to be the, the hottest, you know, IPO center in the region. Um, what has happened is that our business cycle is closely correlated to the Chinese business cycle, where we are seeing some headwinds. Uh, whereas our monetary policy is dictated by the Fed in the U.S., where they have an overheating of the economy, so we've been tightening significantly. So this year has been especially bad for Hong Kong. Um, and they are looking at, at ways in which they can improve. Um, but without uh, that flow of Chinese companies listing in Hong Kong, someone has to be the first one to <laughs> take a hit. Um, and I think the Chinese government can use uh, moral suasion to try to encourage more companies to list. Um, but without that flow, I think it's going to be very difficult in the near term. Where I do see some optimism for Hong Kong is when the Fed starts to cut rates. Um, 
that will effectively put a, a, a limit on the pace of uh, rate increases. We've seen HIBOR actually increase by more than 500 basis points in the last few months, and that has translated into a correction in, in the housing sector, which is one of the key pillars of the economy. So I don't know how much um, this will help on the equity front, but definitely second mm. half of next, next year, at least, we should see a floor emerge on Hong Kong floor, home yeah, prices. Yeah, yeah. As ever, uh, Hong Kong seems to be uh, in the middle between uh, the US and China. It can be good, it can be bad. Um, but what about the headwinds that you talk about, Carlos, uh, in uh, in China? What you know? What what is the government there doing in the mainland about uh, about these things? Well, we've seen, we've seen uh, Chinese equities actually being hit really hard by the news coming out of the Central Economic Work Conference. It seems there is a bit of a gap between expectations of international investors and, and Chinese authorities. Um, a lot of hope hinged on the Central Economic Work Conference delivering a big bang of, of monetary and fiscal support measures. And, you know, as sort of was hinted with previous communications, that was not the case. Monetary policy will be more restrictive next year. Um, and fiscal policy will be easier. So we do expect to see, um, you know, the government actually increase um, central government debt, local government debt through special bond issuance. And that's going to fuel, uh, you know, credit concerns among some of the um, rating agencies. Um, so we do think that international investors are going to continue to be on the fence about China because of this this gap. Um, China doesn't really have room to do massive monetary policy stimulus, so they're focusing on efficiencies and, and things like that, but that's not really what investors wanted to see. Um, and so unfortunately, you know, with a complicated geopolitical backdrop, uh, I think it's going to be another difficult year for China. Uh, turning to Japan, uh, investor sentiment uh, lifted by the Bank of Japan's Tankan Business Survey this week, uh, which showed an improvement in confidence among uh, major firms. Um, Enzio, your thoughts on Japan, uh, positive or negative? Positive, um, and I would just add to what Carlos, to, to Carlos's erudite comments that it's this asset allocation game is all about relative performance and relative um, outlooks. And I just think that if Japan, Indonesia, and India are looking very attractive, then why are you wasting your time on China next year? It's very simple. They're at a different stage of their economic cycle. On Japan, I think that what you've got is the Tankan survey lending credence to our hope of stronger domestic demand. Um, coming through a little bit. In other words, Japan, which I used to cover, takes time. It is not one of these instant pivot economies. Um, but well, I some do- would say a long time. Well, it did take a long time, but the big change this time, what makes this time different is that the mindset in Japan is changing ever so slowly. QE2, however, is turning, and you're beginning to see that pivot come through. And I think that's going to be very important for things like longevity of employment, what the what the employers want of their employers in Japan, what the employers want of their employees. It's not just this group rah, rah, rah anymore. <clears throat> I think there'll be a lot more competitiveness coming into the workplace in Japan. And I think those are all good things for the Japanese economy going forward because it's just because the reason it was taking so very long before was because the mindset just wasn't changing. Carlos, is it all relative, though? You know, is it just Japan seems better at the moment compared to to other things, or is there, you know, some real positivity? I think it's a combination of the two. It's relative uh, in the sense that Japan is not China, and yes. uh, long um, managers have been pivoting out of China and looking at alternatives in the region. And Japan is the best alternative in the region, together with India. But that's an even longer play. 
Um, so it is relative in that sense. Um, there are some um, aspects that are fueling better performance, better earnings, and a re, um, you know an evaluation upgrade for many Japanese companies. And those include the yen, which uh, will be a headwind in 2024, no matter what. Uh, a lot of um, a number of these companies do derive a significant proportion of their um, revenues overseas, and so that is going to drag somewhat. But what analysts are hoping to see next year is some of the measures that have been fueling animal spirits to actually offset that downside risk on the JPY front. So mm. um, governance reforms by the Tokyo Exchange, we have plenty good visibility there. They have been admittedly trying for 10 years, but it looks like this time around is different and they're getting really serious about pushing governance reforms. So we will continue to see share buybacks, Japanese companies are cash rich, so they're right. in a great position mm. to do so. Um, and then this narrative of, uh, you know, potentially uh, wage increases being bigger than expected for a second consecutive year and that leading to a positive uh, inflation consumption upward spiral. Yeah. Carlos Casanova, thank you very much, Senior Asia Economist at UBP. And thank you to NCO and also uh, for the update on the Algo Lizards. NCO Farm File is Capital Preservation Specialist at uh, Financial Shield. Uh, gentlemen, uh, much appreciated. Uh,